You are listening to RudolfSteinerAudio.com. As well, you can hear these podcasts at RudolfSteiner.Podbean.com. Please consider becoming a patron. There are two publishing houses, SteinerBooks.org in America and RudolfSteinerPress.com in England, which are the sole publishers of Steiner into English and have given me permission to do these recordings. Please consider patronizing them as well. This is a reading of Collected Works, Volume 98, by Rudolf Steiner, the Listener's Notes to 18 Lectures, entitled Nature and Spirit Beings, Their Activity in Our Visible World, translated by Christian von Arnhem. This is the beginning of Part 2 of the book, with Lecture 7, given in Nuremberg on the 1st of December, 1907, entitled The Relationship of Human Beings to the World Around Them. Today I will speak to you about manifold and different things, through which a kind of thread can easily be drawn, for which you yourself will easily find a certain coherence. Above all, I would like to say a few words to you about the relationship of the human being to the world around us, about the sentiments and feelings of the human being toward the world and how these sentiments and feelings can deepen out of the theosophical worldview. In this way, I would like, above all, to evoke the feeling that it is not the same to look at the world as a person with the ordinary present-day average education and average worldview, and to look at the world as a theosophist. If we want to elevate theosophy from what many know it to be, from a theory, from a sum of teachings, to something that has soul, that fills the soul, that purifies and ennobles all our sentiments and feelings, we must, if we want to elevate it to a life content, be able to experience the things we can learn through it, to really apply them, we might say, to our life at the most everyday level. We will only have absorbed theosophy in the right way when we understand, for example, how to look at a plant or a field or a mountain or an animal in a different way than we were able to look at it or feel it before we became theosophists. And we will be able to delve into what is meant by this when we delve into the essence of what is called self-awareness. You all know self-awareness in the human being. You know that we distinguish in the human being the four elements, physical body, etheric body, astral body, and I, capital, and that through the human being becoming conscious of this I, what we call self-awareness arises. This not only has the possibility of knowing about the world around, but also of knowing about itself, that we are a being of an independent kind. If you really think this thought through to the end, you can reach a conclusion as to how you should conceive of this self-awareness in the human being themselves. The question now arises, what is it like in the animal, the plant, the mineral? Can we speak in a certain sense of self-awareness in animals, plants and minerals? People who simply say, why should not every stone have an eye in the same way as the human being? It is only that human beings do not perceive one. They speak without knowledge of the matter. For on what we call the physical plane, Only the human being has self-awareness, an I, not the animal, not the plant, not the mineral. The human being differs from animals, plants, and minerals 
in that they have this I here on the physical plane in the ordinary world. Now you must not take the words I am about to speak in such a way that you immediately think of them with an either-or attitude. You must be clearly aware that certain higher animals, especially those which live together to a great extent with human beings, such as domestic animals, have a kind of self-awareness which is already today in a certain way equal to that of a lower wild human being. There are differences of degree everywhere. We are not speaking of the transitions, but of things in the main, as they are, so to speak, in average state. In the animal we do not generally find self-awareness here on the physical plane. What is this self-awareness of the animal like? You can come to understand it if you ask yourself, where is the self-awareness of each of my fingers? Then you must say to yourself, your own consciousness is the self-awareness of your finger. It is not conceivable without your common consciousness. In your eye, your ten fingers have their common consciousness, their common eye, as do your other limbs. That is their self-awareness. Transfer this concept in a certain sense to the concept of an animal species. There you must say to yourself, everything that is similarly shaped in the animal kingdom, all the lions, bears, frogs, fish that are similarly shaped, these lions that belong together, and so on, really behave like your ten fingers. Distance does not matter here. If you were to ask the individual fingers about their eye, they would have to say, it is the eye of the human being to which we belong. So if you were to ask one lion in a zoo and another in Africa, and so on, they would all have to point to the communal species eye, to the generic eye, the group eye. All similarly formed animals have a communal eye. This is how the human being differs from the animal, that every human being has an eye for themselves, but the animal has a species eye, a group eye. You cannot find these eyes of animals in our physical world, but these eyes are present where we speak of the astral plane. For all the lions you will find a single being there, just as you can meet a human being here on the physical plane who shows you a self-contained being within their skin. So you could, if you were clairvoyant, meet beings on the astral plane, the lion I, the bear I, as self-contained beings like human beings here. These are very intelligent beings there which do not lag behind human beings. The individual lion trails behind them, but its eye is a very high being, and with a penetrating wisdom has to grasp and carry out the complete task of lions here on earth. So the animal eyes are very intelligent beings. Now if you could follow these beings, which make up all the eyes of the animals, as a clairvoyant, you would see that these beings are engaged in a remarkable activity. What the animals have as their task is administered, governed by these beings, which we call the animal eyes. These animal eyes constantly surround the earth. As one example among many of these things, 
I will give you one task of these animal eyes. If you follow a phenomenon which is very well known and to which much thought is given, the flight of birds, you will find that the birds which live in northern regions gather in autumn. They fly from the northeastern regions toward the southwestern ones, then toward the south. In spring they gather again and head north in the opposite direction. What underlies these migrations is essentially breeding, having young, and so on. The spring flight is a kind of nuptial flight. The regularity that lies in it is taken care of by the group souls. They arrange all this. And you can follow the lines in the flight of birds. One kind of bird flies this way, another that way, one low to the ground, another high in the air. Everywhere you will find a deep wisdom within. That is to say, all that is animal, soul, all of that circles our planet, circles the earth. This is an example of how in the flight of birds the wisdom of the group soul is at work. What is the situation with plants? They only have a physical body and an etheric body. They have no independent astral body and no independent eye here on the physical plane. Now, if you could observe yourself during your night's sleep, you would see how the physical and etheric bodies lie in bed. What lies in bed has the value of a plant. That is what the plant is all the time. That which dwells in you during the day, during your waking state, that which is in your physical body is outside your physical and etheric body at night. With the plant, what you lift out at night is always outside. This removal is linked to something else. Let us suppose that you were all to fall asleep here, which is of course not what we want, then all your eyes and astral bodies would lie outside. You would not be able to be as separate as you are now in the physical body. They would mingle more, form a more unified mass, as if they were undulating in one another. In a certain way they would dissolve into a common astral body of the earth and draw strength from this common astral body of the earth, which is mixed with that of the sun, to remove fatigue. This is how it is always with the plant. What you see before you in the plant is a physical and etheric body, but the plant has the astral body outside itself. The whole earth has a common astral body, and that is the astral body of the plants. And the earth has a common eye, and that is the eye of the plants. So that you must look for the eye of the plants in the common eye of the whole earth. And now all the plants on earth appear to you as your fingers appear to you. You are an organism, and your fingers grow out of it. The whole earth is an organism, and the plants are literally limbs of the earth and belong with it to a common consciousness. And what follows from this is literally true. If you are hurt, if someone cuts into your flesh, you feel pain. Similarly, under certain conditions, the whole earth can feel pain. But the earth cannot feel pain if, for example, you cut a plant or a flower. That would not make the earth feel pain. What causes the earth pain can be understood if you know one thing. You must imagine the whole earth as a unified organism and all plants as limbs of this unified organism.
Now that which is above the earth in plants relates to the earth in approximately the same way as milk relates to humans and animals. When the calf suckles on the animal, on the cow, it produces a certain feeling of well-being for the cow. The whole earth has this same feeling when you cut a flower or plant. For what the earth sends to the sun, what it sprouts, is the same thing in another form as that which lives in the milk. But if you tear out a plant by the root, it is exactly the same as if you tear off a human limb or cut into its flesh. What our earth feels when you cut a plant that is still firmly rooted in the earth, the earth has a feeling of well-being, is something quite different from when you tear out a plant by the root. You should not judge this morally, but as the facts are, and that is what they are. Now try not merely to think such a truth, but to feel it. You see, we can feel it in this way. When we go outside in autumn and see the farmer reaping the grain with his scythe, a person who knows what happens in the astral body of the earth feels something like feelings of delight, of joy, of pleasure, passing over the earth as the grain is reaped. Indeed, it is a feeling of joy for the whole earth when the reaper cuts the grain at harvest time. This is what we feel when we know what happens in the animal group soul, in the earth soul of the plants, in the group I and earth I. Thus in the migrating flock of birds we feel the wisdom, the wise organization of the astral beings that make these arrangements. We feel the wind of wisdom blowing through the air. And when we know that with the plant we are dealing with the earth's soul, we feel sentiment and feeling in everything that happens with the plant. We sense world spirit, the saying goes, in the surroundings of the earth when we observe the animal eye, world soul, the feeling of nature when we observe the plant eye. And that is indeed how it is. When we consider the teachings of theosophy, not merely theoretically, but when they fill the whole of our soul, then we have a sense of the God who is always moving through nature. And if it is the case that when a person faces another person, they know that a feeling heart beats in the other's breast, that the other feels similarly in their skin as we do, that they not only think about the other but also feel with them, then we also gradually learn to feel something like the pulse, the warm feeling of nature. Nature becomes a living being in spirit and soul. Now if we imagine what it means to fill nature with spirit out of these teachings, then we will experience that we learn to relate to everything in a completely different way through theosophy, as if our feelings were purified and ennobled. How great is the indifference of the ordinary person, whether or not the scythe goes and reaps the crop? And how different is this to the theosophist who follows the reaping scythe with their heart? and who knows that where the scythe touches there is a living being underneath, that the astral body of the earth feels pleasure. Thus, little by little, nature is really filled with life for us. That is to say, apparently abstract teachings pass over into living feeling and sentiment. At every level of everyday life, every step is transformed when we thus let the teachings turn into feeling. 
And now having understood this, let us move on to something else which we have perhaps already touched on from another angle and which will appear to us in a new light. You turn your eyes up to the moon, to the sun. You have now seen how theosophical wisdom can kindle the feeling that we learn to empathize with our surroundings. This also extends to dead objects, to stones. It is very remarkable how we learn to judge some things in our surroundings differently. People often imagine things in the wrong way. We think we go out as people with knowledge. We want to see what is happening when something is going on outside. On one occasion we go to a quarry. The workers are hammering and quarrying the stones. There we come to the stone eye. This is now no longer only connected with our earth planet, but the stone is connected with our whole planetary system. The stone has its center where the planetary system has it. The stone also has its feeling. But you must not think that if you break a stone, destroy it, that it will be hurt. No, if you break the stone, destroy it, it means a feeling of well-being. You see an infinite feeling of well-being pulsating out of the quarry when the men are working. But assemble stones, on the other hand, and there is pain. It is interesting to know this. The earth was a molten liquid object. You couldn't live in it. It had to cool down. Everything was dissolved in the heat. It had to fuse. This creates pain. Separation creates joy, pleasure. The whole of lifeless nature suffers so that you can build dwellings for yourself. It sighs for those who can see it. It sighs. It will again be dissolved into its elements. In order for human beings to have been able to pass through their development, lifeless nature had to be assembled in pain. When human beings have so spiritualized themselves that they no longer need the solid earth as a foundation, the earth will be redeemed with them. This is what lifeless nature longs for. It is true what Paul says, quote, All creatures groan and suffer under pain. Close quote. They will be redeemed by the approach to that spiritualized state of the human being. We can even notice the children, who because they are still constructed differently from adults, have a certain feeling for the astral, still feel something of what an inanimate thing feels when it is destroyed. Not always, it can also be because they are naughty, but this is often a reason why children have such empathy and destroy things. It is not always out of naughtiness. You can even see that. Things sometimes have a completely different aspect from a spiritual point of view. So, you see, that the whole earth is ensouled, filled with spirit, permeated with feelings. That is the wonderful thing about theosophy, that it leads us into living nature. Now, you will easily understand that the person who looks into it as an occultist must think of things, even the sun and the moon, as being just as ensouled, filled with spirit, as the kingdoms of nature. It really is like this. What we see of the sun, when we look at it with the physical eye, relates to the whole of the sun in the same way as what we see of the human being with the physical eye relates to the whole of the human being. 
The body of the sun is the body of the sun spirit, and the body of the moon is the body of the moon spirit. And the sun, moon, and earth belong together in a spiritual relationship, and the matter is indeed very complicated. A whole series of spiritual beings are united with the sun, which have the sun as their body, not just one spiritual being. So when the occultist looks into the sun and sees the rays of the sun, it is not merely a physical phenomenon for them, but something else. You can get an idea of what they see when you observe, for instance, a female person in the street raising her hand in a giving gesture toward a child. There you see the hand movement and perhaps a coin falling into the child's hand. But that is only the physical part. If you were able to look into what is only an expression here, then you would see the empathy. You would see how this causes the movement of the hand. In the child, too, you would be able to see and follow the outer process as the expression of a spiritual process, perhaps as the expression of gratitude. The person who merely perceives the rays of the sun with the physical eye relates to the person who sees spiritually in the same way as the person who only sees the physical movement of the woman and the child relates to the person who also observes the inner processes. The person who sees the processes of the rays of the sun coming to us with the trained eye, EYE, of the occultist can see how spiritual beings in the sun overflow in feelings and how these feelings become deeds and their deed is what they send down in the rays of the sun. And if you observe the astral body of the earth, then you see something like gratitude of the whole plant soul, which receives the rays of the sun. And throughout the course of the year, when the plants open up, it is both a heartfelt expression of soul for inner soul processes of the earth, as well as for what the creatively giving spirits of the sun feel. Now, there is a certain contrast, which is not to be understood as opposition, between the spiritual beings in the sun and those in the moon. Earth, sun, and moon belong together. In the distant past, they were one body. The sun detached itself from the earth, that is, from the union of today's earth and today's moon. Why did this happen? We can cite the most diverse reasons but today we want to cite only one of the many reasons. At that time when the sun detached itself from the earth, all the beings went with it who were of a higher nature than that which remained behind. For the sun can be the scene of much higher spiritual beings than the human being is. Beings far, far above the human being went with it as sun spirits, and the sun became their setting so that when we look into the sun with the trained eye, E-Y-E, of the occultist, we then see the physical sun as a body, as the scene and dwelling place of exalted spirits, the sun spirits. They were able to continue the development for a while on the same body on which we still live today, but they had to separate by taking out the finest substances in order to continue the development in an appropriate manner. One spirit detached themselves from these sun spirits and was given a special task. He still remained connected to the earth, 
and later the moon also left, the earth became independent. And this spirit, who was, so to speak, a sun spirit, but one who initially had been given another temporary task, not one based in the sun, this one spirit is Yahweh, or Jehovah, as cosmic intelligence. This one individuality went with the moon, so that when the earth split away, we had in the sun a type of high sun spirit, and in the moon Jehovah. With the light that comes from the sun and the moon, the soul and spiritual forces of these beings also shine upon the earth at the same time. And human beings could not have developed as they did under the influence of only one of these beings. It had to happen as it did. If the earth did not have the moon but only the sun, then human beings would always have transformed themselves in tremendously rapid succession, would have developed very quickly. This could not be allowed to happen to them. They would have run ahead of themselves, jumped ahead of themselves. The best forces that belong to the development of the human being are united in the sun, but the rapid pace was not allowed to be pursued. Therefore, Jehovah was split off, so that the whole course of the human being's development was thereby slowed down. Thus the sun and moon forces work together and create the right middle course in the development of the human being. If only the forces of the moon had acted, the human being would have withered away. Instead of living human beings, there would only have been withered, lifeless creatures, mere beings of form. If you walk among statues in a museum, you have a picture of what the moon would have made of them, soulless beings of form, of great beauty, but soulless nevertheless. Into these forms, into this paralysis, the forces of the sun bring life and movement. But with the forces of the sun alone, human beings would have made themselves too spiritual too quickly. This is how wisely the course of our earthly development has been arranged. That is why the sun and moon, with their powers and beings, had to separate themselves from the earth. If a clairvoyant had followed the development of the earth from another planet, if they had been able to watch how the earth has unfolded, they would have seen a strange spectacle. We hypothesized that someone from a distant celestial body would follow our earth's development. They would see not only the physical body of the earth, but also the astral body of the earth. If they were to observe this astral body, they would see it displaying all kinds of light phenomena. They would follow this through millennia. There comes a time when this astral body changes completely, when it shows new colors, completely new processes. There is such an incision in the development of the earth, namely, when we look at the earth as an organism. Before its astral body shows us certain colors, and afterward it shows us other colors. These two periods of the earth's astral body are quite different. And if the person concerned were to investigate what happened at the time when the astral body of the earth underwent this radical change, they would find that it was the time when Christ died on Golgotha. The whole astral body of the earth changed when the blood flowed from the wounds of Jesus Christ. This is the cosmic mystery 
of the meaning of Christ's death. This must not be judged by reason alone. No occult training would be high enough to allow this event to be felt in its full significance. What happened in our cosmic system at this time? What changed in the astral body of the earth? The fact that from this time on, one of the sun spirits united its astral body with that of the earth. We said, we also have several among the sun spirits, six in number. One of them, whom we call the Christ spirit, united his astral body with that of the earth at the moment when the blood flowed from the wounds of the physical body. Since that moment, the earth has undergone an essential change. Because the earth has, since, become one with the body of Christ. The Christ principle has descended from the heights of heaven. It lived in the sun body until the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. In death it united with the earthly body. Since that time the earth as a planetary body has been the body of Christ. He has been united with the earth since that time. And we now understand in a deeper sense what it means. Quote, he that eateth bread with me hath lifted up his heel against me. Close quote. Imagine that the earth were the body of Christ and take these words literally. Humans walk on the body of the earth and they eat the bread of the body of the earth. And when the spirit of the earth speaks, it cannot describe this process in any other way than with the words, quote, He who eats my bread tramples my body underfoot. Close quote. And that without rancor. And the Last Supper itself? How infinitely deeper does it become when we understand that the earth's body is the body of Christ? What is the bread that is baked from the grains? How must the spirit of the earth address such bread? This is my body. This must be taken literally. How must the spirit of the earth address the forces of the plants? How must it address, after it has united with the earth's eye, capital, the saps that flow in the plants? This is my blood. Just as the blood runs through your veins and your body, so in the body of Christ, in the earthly body, the blood of Christ literally runs in the plant sap. And who would say that through this, something like the Last Supper does not experience infinite deepening? What do we feel when we feel the astral body of Christ uniting with that of the earth? And at that moment become aware of the meaning of the words which have just been quoted. What does the human being feel when they live their way into it completely? How profound does something like the mystery of the Last Supper become to that person? Thus we learn to think of all life around us differently, especially through an occult contemplation of these processes. We learn to understand the religious records literally. And we realize that when we learn this, all external interpretations of the religious records must disappear. For the religious records are written out of the most profound facts and reflect them. You will find nothing in the authentic records that does not agree with such great truths as the confluence of the Christ Spirit with the earth 
when the blood flowed on Golgotha. And how infinitely is the feeling life deepened when we look into this mystery. This is the calling of theosophy, to work toward human beings learning anew, to revive those deep feelings and sentiments in the soul which lived, really lived in our ancestors. For in the same way as we are now trying to conjure up before the soul through theosophical teachings what the soul can feel through them, the first Christians felt this way already in ancient times. They felt it deeply. They felt it so deeply for a long time, until materialism came with its intellectual judgments. Then the spirits withdrew, we might say, for nothing has such an alienating effect on spiritual beings as the intellect. The intellect, when it dissects things, when it grasps them in its caustic criticism, also causes the spiritual beings in the human soul to flee. The myth of the brownies has a deep meaning. They were there when the light of reason did not yet shine in the human being. The light of reason frightened away the brownies. Those feelings were there when the critical mind had not yet penetrated the human soul. Theosophy is here to bring back to human beings, in spite of their intellect, the warm living empathy with all nature. The development of the intellect could not be prevented. The spiritual being had to step back for a time. The spirit will return. We will keep our intellect and in addition acquire the warmth, the fire of feeling, the enthusiasm, the empathy. Knowledge and feeling will be united when we penetrate to the sources of life. And a new life will sprout from the religious records when the situation occurs that Goethe wished for. Many long centuries ago, most of humanity was not yet able to read the Bible, but people did hear some of what was written in it. It was only when the printing press came along that people were able to read the Bible. Today, however, they no longer read the deep, mysterious records themselves, but what the critical minds say about the Bible. Goethe longed for an age when people would again know how to read the Bible, not about the Bible. Today, people read about the Bible. For a few pennies you can buy writings that show how the Bible is supposed to be made up of individual bits, how the Old Testament came into being piecemeal. A book has even been created which has been assembled sentence by sentence with differently colored letters to show what came earlier and what came later, what is an addition and so on, the so-called Rainbow Bible. These things originate in the critical mind which can only see how, on the material plane, these things were written by one person or another, which cannot see that all the writers of the biblical writings were the pupils of the great initiates who had direct insight into the spiritual world. But what matters is that we recognize the real spirit in the words, that we penetrate into what lies behind them, that we understand how the religious documents are written from deep spiritual and true knowledge. Thus we have seen how things must be understood. In this way human beings learn what is important. Then they rise to the right feeling, that is, to the right life. The end of Lecture 7